Hello, and welcome to the WorkWell podcast. The World Health Organization has identified the workplace as a priority area for health promotion. Why then does the word work have such a negative and unhealthy connotation for so many people? Think about it. We spend so much of our adult lives at work. Why should it be in a role or in an environment that doesn't support our health and well-being? My name is Brian Krupp, and I'm on a mission to make workplaces more positive places to be and to make our working day as healthy and productive as possible. Join me on the Work Well podcast as I interview workplace well-being thought leaders and industry professionals to discuss how employers, employees, and entrepreneurs can lead the way by creating and sustaining the healthy, safe, and well workplaces of the future. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the WorkWell podcast. This episode is brought to you in partnership with AJ Products, who are leading the way in ergonomic and active workplace furniture solutions at ajproducts.ie. Today in the WorkWell podcast, I'm delighted to welcome Joe O'Connor. Joe is currently based in New York City, where he's conducting a one-year research fellowship on working time reduction with Cornell University. He's also coordinating the international four-day week global pilot program, working alongside the four-day week US team, a really exciting project. He's on a year-long sabbatical from his role as the director of campaigning with Forza Trade Union, where he's responsible for coordinating Forza's national campaigns. If he wasn't busy enough, he's also the chairperson of the four-day week Ireland campaign, and he had previously coordinated the formation of the coalition back in 2019 and the successful launch of a pilot program and government-funded research project in 2021. We'll have a lot more detail about the pilot programs in this episode. So if you have any questions whatsoever about the four-day working week, then you're about to have them answered in my conversation with Joe O'Connor. Joe, hello and welcome to the WorkWell podcast. Hi, Brian. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm great, thanks. Yeah, pleasure to have you on the show. So tell us, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, can't complain. Settling in here to uh, New York, which is a big change from our previous residence in rural Roscommon. So all good so far. Zoom meetings are the same no matter where you are in the world. So, <laughs> Yeah, bring us up to speed then, if you would. So from rural Roscommon to New York, there's a lot happened in between there. Yeah, that's right. I've been living and working in Dublin for probably the last seven or eight years. We moved back home actually last October, so just over 12 months ago, to Roscommon. Like a lot of people, my home place is from Roscommon. The house was sitting there. You know, we were living and renting in Dublin during a time where it wasn't the best time to be in a big city in the middle of the pandemic. You know, you were kind of walking outside your front door with the dogs and just seeing COVID everywhere. So we used the opportunity to escape to the sticks, so to speak. We got here then to New York at the at the beginning of last month, so... Definitely a big change. A lot more noise in the background on these Zoom calls, I find, is one of the big things. Very good. Yeah. And you're working on a really interesting project in New York. We'll come to that in just a moment. But tell us a little bit about your background, if you would. I mean, there's some very interesting kind of roles in there. I, one in particular I saw was you're, you're president of the, the Union of Students of Ireland. And most recently, then, you're, you're working with Forza as the director of campaigning. Yeah, that's right. As I said, grew up in Roscommon. I went to college in Galway where studied for four years there, did a master's in business strategy and innovation, 
went on to the Students' Union in Galway, which kind of led me to the national role in the USI, which I did in 2013-14. And I suppose because of my interest in student union advocacy issues, that path led me into the trade union movement where I've been for most of my career. And I guess it's what brought me to this issue around working time reduction in my role in, in FORSA. I organized a conference in 2018 on the future of working time. It was an area where we were observing some of the international developments in this area where a lot of countries were introducing reduced working hours at the same time as we felt the debate in Ireland around reduced working hours was within the, the public, the media, within politics, was quite constrained to this idea that you know working less hours meant you were lazy rather than you know yeah. this idea that you can actually be more productive more focused at work if you've got more time to re-energize. So we've been working on this issue. I've been chair of the 40-Week Ireland Coalition since 2019, which is a broad coalition involving unions, businesses, environmentalists, academics, NGOs, which has led us to develop a pilot program in Ireland and which I suppose in turn has led me to the States. So one year sabbatical, if I'm not mistaken, from four. So you're, you're in the States, you're in New York working on kind of the global 40-Week pilot and there's also research involved at Cornell University. Is that right? That's right. So Cornell are, are sponsoring me to be here and leading a research project on work time reduction. I'm also working with researchers in, in Boston College and UCD on the pilot project that we're, we're rolling out. So I suppose our focus at the moment, I'm still coordinating the Irish pilot program remotely and focusing now on recruiting companies to join a, a trial here in, in the United States and Canada. And we're hoping that, that these pilot programs effectively can be used as a template that could be adopted by campaigns in other countries that might look to to pilot the four-day working week in the years to come. But right now, the focus is on Ireland and the US and Canada. And, and what, what does the research tell us today? So there has been some trials in other countries, if I'm not mistaken. There's an Iceland trial. Spain, I think, have done some interesting projects. What is the research telling us thus far? So a number of companies, both in Ireland and internationally, have either trialed or introduced this in recent years. Certainly, we're finding since the, the pandemic, you know, interest and momentum in this area is certainly growing. And I guess the results are very positive from Perpetual Guardian in New Zealand to Iceland to the ICE group at home in, in Ireland, who I know you spoke with on your it's podcast. On, yeah, recently. yeah, I mean, in all of those cases, businesses are experiencing that their employees are more focused, they're more motivated, they're more energized, and they can deliver better results. It obviously is a huge benefit in terms of employee well-being and work-life balance. And then there are also other societal benefits in terms of quite a close link between reduced working time and reduced carbon emissions, the potential for this to be something that makes a real difference in terms of gender equality, both in the home and in the workplace. The research out there to date is very encouraging in this space. But up to now, a lot of the research is very much at the individual company level. So what we're trying to do is, I suppose, what we think is quite an ambitious and a unique project, which is to see if those very positive results that have been delivered by individual companies, can they be replicated on a much broader scale with lots of different countries in different sectors that can be compared across different countries? And we're of the view that you know, if the four-day week is to move from something right now, which is an idea that's certainly growing in momentum, but it's still, I think, a niche idea. You know, we're still very much in the early adapter phase of this. If that's become something that's a real mainstream part of business and government's response to the future of work, we think that this pilot program and the results that it produces would be a very important driver of change in that debate. Does everything that's going on at the moment, the kind of focus now of people returning to the workplace, conversations around hybrid working, 
the future of work. Does that help what you're doing here, do you think? Or is that just another almost distraction? Does that kind of confuse the matter? Well, I think on the negative side, it's certainly true that because we've all experienced this remote working revolution, in terms of the future of workspace, it's difficult for other models of work like the four-day working week sometimes to get airtime when all the focus can be on remote, blended, and hybrid. That said, we do certainly think that it has unlocked a lot of things in that you know, take, for example, back in 2019, when we launched the four day week Ireland campaign at the time, we spoke about this idea of shifting from a model of work, which measures people based on the time they're spending in the office or at the desk or on the clock towards a model of work, which basically measures productivity results and outputs. And that was probably, you know, a radical shift back in 2019, mm-hmm. but because of the experience that we've all collectively just been through in terms of COVID I think it's opened the eyes of many workers in terms of it's raised people's expectations. You know, the thing that maybe they were told was impossible a year or two ago has been proven not to be the case. But also for employers in that I think a lot of employers and managers have had to, I suppose, approach COVID and measure productivity and monitor productivity in very different ways because of the fact that people weren't physically present in the office. And I think that that's probably unlocked the door for a lot of those companies to to actually think, you know what, I could see how a four-day week and I could see how reduced hour working might work for my business. And I think that that's demonstrated in the in the level of interest we've had in the pilot program in Ireland, which has been quite significant. Is it possible, we'll talk about the pilot program now in just a moment, is it possible to define what the four-day week is? I mean, some people might say they're already on a four-day week, if you like, a day of leave or parental leave on, on one of the days. But what we're talking about here is four working days, but you're, you're staying at your similar salary, same terms and conditions Is it possible to define exactly the four-day week? I suppose the first thing to say to you, Andrew Barnes, who heads up the four-day week global campaign that Mm -hmm. I'm currently working with, he would often say that there's a degree of clickbait in the four-day week. And I think what he's getting at with that is we're not talking about purely a four-day working week in every sector and every setting. The model that we're advocating is the 180-100 model. So it's 100% of the pay, 80% of the time, but crucially in return for 100% of the productivity. So we're of the view that, you know, this campaign is about moving towards the four-day working week as the new default or the new standard across the economy. So we don't believe that it would be the only work arrangement in the same way that while a five-day nine-to-five might be the most common work arrangement in the economy today, it's certainly not the only one. So different forms of flexibility will need to coexist, you know, to accommodate not every worker will want to work four days nine-to-five, It may not work in every single setting, but we do believe that the principle of reduced work time and some version of a shorter working week can be achieved pretty much right across the board. I like that idea. So the 180-100, that kind of productivity figure is important, isn't it, when you're talking to organizations about this? And I think you mentioned Perpetual Guardian earlier, Andrew Barnes, the New Zealand company, Andrew Barnes, who introduced, if you like, this idea to the world, they demonstrated across their 240 employees, they had an an increase in productivity of of 20% across the board. Like you say, I guess your trial now, this this pilot is looking across the board at at quite a few organizations to see if it works uh, maybe across the board. Tell us about the pilot and the, the Irish pilot in particular. Well, maybe just on the on the question of productivity, because I think yeah. that's an important message for, for companies that are considering this. I mean, we would not advocate for a company to just reduce their working time in isolation and do nothing else. I wouldn't say that that's destined to fail, but it certainly isn't setting that company up for, for success. 
really the four-day working week has worked most effectively in businesses and organizations that have used it as an entry point into a conversation in their own business about how can we work smarter rather than longer? How can we be more efficient? How can we eliminate waste in the working week, maybe tasks that don't contribute usually to our productivity? What changes can we make to our work practices? And often those companies, you know, they haven't dictated their staff that these are the changes we, we need to make. They've empowered people to come up with the ideas and the solutions that can deliver the same outcomes over four days that they were previously achieving over five. And I think it's really that process that has, has meant that, you know, it's almost counterintuitive. How can you reduce time by 20% and then have things like Perpetual Garden saying productivity went up 25%, IC Group saying productivity went up 27%. Mm-hmm. And we believe that that comes about because staff are so motivated to make the trial work because they value that extra day. They value the gift of what that extra time in their lives means for them, that they're really, really bought into the idea of how can we make the business function and operate more effectively. I think that's a really important point, allowing the employees to, to have their say in this, to be bought into it and be empowered. It kind of reminds me back to my days in the corporate world when when kind of just maybe working one day a week from home was was being broached by by the organization I was in. And it was almost almost like a trial, but every single individual who kind of wanted to work that one day from home went out of their way to demonstrate that not only would they just kind of meet their targets for that day, if you like, but they would overachieve, if you like, so that the trial would be a success. So I think if the people are bought in, if they know what's involved, I think then you're going to see results. I think that's exactly right. And we're seeing a huge amount of companies, particularly in the last six to eight months, who are Considering introducing a four-day working week almost as a tool to gain competitive advantage in retaining their staff and recruiting staff, you know, a lot of sectors where maybe offering remote working or offering some form of hybrid working used to be the incentive that they had to differentiate themselves. Now, for a lot of sectors, it's almost a competitive disadvantage if you don't offer that because everyone's doing it. So for a lot of these firms, the four-day work week is actually the thing that they're using to try and keep their best staff, attract new talent. Just maybe to give you a quick overview of the pilot program that you mentioned, we're running a six-month coordinated trial early next year in Ireland. Effectively, we're going to provide the companies that sign up to participate in this with support that falls under four main headings. So we're going to provide them with training that's been designed and developed by four-day week business leaders in Ireland and internationally that have successfully implemented a four-day week in their businesses already. We're going to provide them with a mentoring program whereby we're going to match up companies in Ireland with experts based on their own specific needs. So if we've got a company from a particular sector, and if we've got someone on our our mentoring panel that has experience of introducing a four-day week in that sector, they'll be able to advise, support, and guide them over the course of the six-month trial. They'll have access to networking in terms of they'll be able to share ideas and collaborate with this network of companies that are going to be doing this at the same time in parallel. And then finally, they'll have access to research through our partnership with Boston College and University College Dublin. And that's also going to be very tailored to the company. So we're not proposing that we will measure productivity in a retail company the same way as we would in a software development company. They will work with the business to define what does success look like for them? What's the most appropriate metric under which to measure the the success of the four-day week? So is it sales? Is it service standards? Is it profits? And effectively, they'll monitor that over the six-month trial. And at the end, they'll produce an impact assessment that shows what was the impact on productivity, on well-being, and on a whole host of of other areas that we're going to be looking at. So essentially, organizations that sign up to this pilot will have access to to all those supports that you mentioned there from the four-day week campaign team. 
let's say you're an organization or the pe- people listening in, the HR leaders, you know, this is interesting. They're definitely interested, but they have a lot on their place. They're thinking this is just, it's, it's a nice idea, but it's just too much effort at this time to turn this around and be ready for the pilot. What would you say to them? Is this a quick turnaround or is there an effort involved to get involved in the pilot? Well, I think for a lot of the companies that have done this in Ireland, they would tell you that this is probably the best thing they've ever done in terms of a business improvement strategy and what it's done for their culture and their team ethic within the business. For a lot of the firms that have done this already, they haven't had the kind of structured support that we're going to be providing. They've took a leap in many cases into the unknown. And while to a certain extent, some of them might have been building the aircraft while it was in flight. You know, a key thing here isn't to overthink it. You know, they they adapted as the pilot went along and they've made it work in a way that that's delivering for their business. We think that our program will provide information to businesses a month or two before the pilot that maybe if they were doing it on their own, they might only discover a month or two into the pilot. They'll have unparalleled access to expertise. And also, I think if you're a smaller medium enterprise in Ireland, I think Would you be able to buy in academic support from Boston College or from UCD to give you tailored support on your own company's metrics, on your own company's productivity? That's what this program offers. The only barriers to entry right now are, number one, that the companies agree to participate in the research project, because that's obviously very important to us in terms of why we're doing this. And number two, that it adheres to the general principles of that 180-100 model. So if a company comes to us and says, we want to move to a four-day week, we want to cut pay by 20%, we'll say, no, that's not what we're advocating for. That's not what we're researching. If a company comes to us and says, we want to move to a four-day week with four 10-hour days, again, that's not the space that we're in. But other than that, there are no upfront costs. There are no contracts for companies to participate. And so really, if you're interested in this, if you've been considering it, You've been looking at it. We'd encourage those companies or those HR managers to reach out to get in touch. And we'd be happy to talk through in more detail what it might mean for their company. Fantastic. And we'll include all the details how people can contact you about that in the show notes. It sounds like there'll be really excellent kind of research and data that comes out of this pilot. You've got quite a few numbers signed up already. Is there data available right now to share that people can kind of review in advance of signing up? Yeah, I would encourage people to go onto the Four Day Week global website, fourdayweek.com. It has the white paper, which was produced by Perpetual Guardian, which really shares some of the learnings from their trial, their pilot that can be implemented in terms of the pilot design in other companies. Certainly, we would advise people to look at the research that's out there of other businesses in Ireland who have done this. We're happy to connect businesses with other business leaders who might have be coming at this from a similar perspective to them. Um, So, you know, if you're a recruitment company, if you're a company in ICT, if you're a company in tech, we can certainly make those connections if they want to chat through specifically how it worked in those different businesses before they make the commitment to joining the pilot program. So, yeah, there's lots of resources and research out there. But we do believe that the project that we're working on is going to make a significant contribution in that there hasn't been a program like this anywhere else in the world. There's a couple of national government trials. You referenced Spain earlier. Scotland have announced that they're going to be doing a government-led trial. This is a trial that's really being led by the business community in Ireland. We're going to be pioneering this in many ways. We hope that the template that, that the Irish and the US pilots are going to use will be adapted to other countries all over the world in the coming years. So I think it's a really exciting opportunity for Irish businesses to be a part of. It really is. It really is. And I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, the outputs of the research and of the pilots. Hey everyone, 
A really quick note to tell you about our online learning hub, the WorkWell Institute. If you're enjoying the episode today and are interested in learning more about well-being and work, then check out the courses we have on offer at workwellinstitute.org. You'll find programs for you and your colleagues on managing stress, how to boost energy, well-being champion training, and our flagship program for well-being leaders called Developing a Workplace Wellness Program That Lasts. There's a free preview available for all of the courses at workwellinstitute.org. Now, back to our conversation. You mentioned a couple of sectors there. Are there any sectors that we're not talking about here? I mean, I'm guessing this isn't for everyone. This can't be for everyone, for every organization, if you like, in every sector, frontline, front of house, if you like. Is there any kind of flexibility in, in what you're doing here that it could apply to all sectors? Or is it simply just for maybe, let's say, office-based organizations? There are examples of versions of shorter working weeks and reduced working time working in different sectors all over the world. I mean, if you were to point out one particular sector, I'd probably be able to point you to an example of where it has been done and it has worked in different parts of the world. I do think it's important to say that this is a flexible model. This is not a one-size-fits-all approach. I would say that the number of companies that could introduce a four-day working week from the perspective of saying, everyone is Friday off, we shut down our business on a Friday, we just operate Monday to Thursday, That'll work for some companies. Say now if you're a PR agency that does communications work for clients, it's very project-focused, it's very deliverables-focused. Could they effectively just run their business four days a week? They probably could. And there are some companies that we know that are doing that. But for the vast, vast majority of companies that have introduced this or who are participating in the trial, they do need to ensure that they can provide a service to clients or to customers over five days, and in some cases, over six and even seven days. So this is about, you know, strong management, clever rostering, workers buying into the fact that there needs to be adequate coverage across all of the different days. And as I said earlier, in some companies and in some sectors, it might not look like a traditional four-day working week. So if you're not currently working a traditional five-day nine-to-five, you're probably not going to fit into a four-day nine-to-five model. But we think some version of reduced working time in a shorter working week can be achieved. And if you take, for example, healthcare, there was a trial in Sweden whereby this was introduced in a municipal district for nursing care homes. The outcomes of that trial were that it had really, really positive outcomes for staff, really, really positive outcomes for patients, but effectively they had to hire more people. There was additional employment costs. Mm -hmm. We believe in the vast majority of sectors this can be done without any loss of productivity or without any additional employment costs. But we recognize that there are some parts of the economy, take healthcare, could doctors and nurses reduce their hours by 20% and maintain the same level of productivity? I think the honest answer is no. However, over time, is there a case to be made that that is a sector of the economy, the caring economy, where there's a lot of stress, there's a lot of burnout, there's a lot of overwork? Is it necessarily good for health outcomes that nurses and doctors and healthcare professionals are overworked. So I do think that there's certain sectors that, yes, the 180-100 model that we're talking about mightn't work in the same way, but over time, are they not the sectors that we should be talking about investing in creating new jobs, which are, you know, if you talk about the caring economy, they're low-carbon jobs, they're not going to be automated or taken away by artificial intelligence. So I think there is the potential to increase employment, and I think there is a potential to reduce working time. And I think the example you gave is a good one. It depends on, on the industry, on the sector, and on the organization. perfect example of that is, is the ICE group, ICE group, 
who they actually cover six days. They cover Monday to Saturday. And the way they work that is with, with their four-day week is there might be one member of staff works Monday to Thursday. And then that member of staff has like a partner or a job share almost where they, they overlap on the, the Wednesday and the Thursday. And it's that, that second person works the, the Wednesday to Saturday kind of thing. And that's how they, they work their four-day shift. That's how it works for, for ICE group. So there can be flexibility. It depends on the organization and it depends on the industry. Absolutely. You know, they are able to say everyone has a three-day weekend. They either take the Monday or the Friday off. There's lots of other organizations that, you know, they've rostered across all five days in terms of different people have different days off. Some organizations offer Wednesday as a, another option where some people might break up the week and do two and two. There really is lots of different models. We have another company, SEL Sales, who are a sales company. They operate Monday to Saturday. They're very effectively operating a four-day working week for their staff. So I do think that if an organization looks at it in terms of the potential benefits of this are so great for their business and for their people that it's not about these are all the reasons why it won't work. And actually, do you know what? The ICE group who've done this, they actually had a team in-house. Brianne may have gone through this, which basically was like, you know, the naysayers group, which just came <laughs> up with these are all the things that could go wrong. So there's a value in that internally, but only from the point of view of overcoming those obstacles in order to try and adapt this to work for your business. Where does the whole interest in this area, you know, from yourself personally come from? Um, I mean, is it, if you look back, like just the idea of kind of the 40-hour work week or the, the Monday to Friday, or I think it used to be a Monday to Saturday, it's just been there for so long, I guess, since the Industrial Revolution. And I think we've just accepted it. Is it just to mix things up, to question that, to query that? I think that if you look at historical reductions in working time, as you said, around a century ago, we introduced this model where we had a weekend, we had an eight-hour day, we had a five-day week. And at the time, a lot of people said that that was unachievable. It was an unaffordable luxury. The economy yeah. wouldn't be able to cope. <laughs> and since then, in most advanced Western democracies, we'd seen gradual reductions in, in average working hours right up to around the early to mid-1980s. And since then, effectively, that reduction in working time has pretty much flatlined. We're working on average similar hours to what we were working at that time. And if you think about what's happened since then, we've had globalization and global trade. We've had the internet. We've had email. We've had all of these incredible technological advancements that have led to massive increases in worker productivity. But yet the benefits of that have not been shared with workers in the form of reduced working time. So we, we're very much of the view that when we talk about the four-day working week, it is time for an update. It is time for a new model of work that's fit for the 21st century. And it is critically important that the benefits that we're going to see in terms of productivity that are going to be brought about by you know, this fourth industrial age of digitalization, automation, AI, that that is shared with ordinary workers in a way that maybe some of the advancements we've seen over the last couple of decades have not. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of reminds me, I think when Tim Ferriss's book came out in 2008, wasn't it the four hour week or the four hour work week? Again, I think it was met with a lot of skepticism. People saw this as just people being lazy, more money, less hours kind of thing. Whereas actually in the book itself, it's more about efficiency and productivity and how to maximize your time and kind of working smarter. It really feels like this. Is, I know it's, it's, it's a different idea altogether, but it kind of feels like it's the same approach. It's all about efficiency productivity and working smarter, not longer and not harder. Yeah, I mean, John Maynard Keynes was quoted at the start of the last century as saying that he thought over time we'd end up reducing to a 15-hour week. I know Andrew Barnes, who introduced this perpetual guardian, was motivated to look at this idea 
partly because of his own experience of burnout and stress and overwork as a leading CEO, but also because he had done research that suggests that people are only truly productive four hours a day, 15 hours a week. So we do think that this is about working smarter rather than longer. One of the CEOs in, in the US of, of Bolt, who are a major tech startup that have announced they're moving to a four-day working week, I read a quote from him on Twitter that I thought was, was an interesting way to put it, where he said he wants his staff to stop working like cows and to start working like lions. So in other words, he doesn't want his team to, to approach work grazing all day. He wants them to approach work where effectively it's short, sharp bursts of activity. People are focused, energized, motivated while they're in work. And then they have the opportunity for rest, relaxation, regeneration when they're outside of work. And I think this kind of you know, culture that has crept into certain aspects of Irish society and the Irish economy. And, you know, if I'm being honest, I think part of it has been almost imported from the country that I'm currently in, which is that kind of US multinational approach in some cases, which is that it's almost a badge of honor if you're in the office at the desk at 7 a.m. and you're the last person to leave at 7 p.m. Yeah. That's not a healthy approach to work. It's not a healthy approach to life. And, you know, not only is it not good for a business's most important asset, their people, we don't think it's good for the bottom line of businesses either. You know, we don't think that that's a, a productive way um, to operate. So we're trying to shift the narrative on that, to shift the focus towards reduced hour working with a real focus on, on, on productivity and delivering outcomes. Yeah, and I, I love all that. It's echoes again of, of Cal Newport, deep work, this idea of getting you know, your productive work. Maybe I think his approach was getting it done mostly in the morning. Need a lot of examples then of how you might kind of relax in the afternoon, but that that's actually where the creativity and the innovation comes from during those kind of relaxation periods, whether it's exercise, walking, uh, rest, this kind of idea. So the more focused your work is, and the more time you allow for relaxation and downtime, and the more innovative and creative and productive you can be over the long term. Absolutely, and one of the things we're really interested in looking at in terms of the research that, that we're doing with with Boston uh, Boston College and UCD is in terms of the, the climate issue. So there's been a quite a bit of research that suggests that reduced working time has a close correlation with reduced carbon emissions. Most of the research up to now on that has been at a very individual company level. So it's been about you know the impact of reduced commuting, the impact of reduced energy use in buildings, and so on. But there hasn't been a huge amount of research into the behavioral changes that it might bring about in people's day-to-day uh, -day lives. So is there a correlation between high-intensity working and high-intensity living? And is it possible that if people have a more balanced work life, that they can live a more sustainable life outside of that? You know, we've all been in that situation where you're more likely to eat unhealthy meals or to, you know, if you're in a situation where you've just worked a 10 or a 12-hour day. So what impact can that have on people's daily lives? And this is all stuff that we really hope will be drawn out by the by the research that we're going to be doing. And really look forward to seeing that research. Tell us a bit more about sort of the US pilot then as well that you're kind of kicking off effectively. And you've, you've touched on this. So you're, you're in New York, you know, the home of Wall Street, money doesn't sleep. What are you finding the reaction there? You mentioned one company, Bolt, who have already signed up. Are you getting kind of a different reaction to your US pilot than your Irish pilot? I think it's important to acknowledge and recognize in the US, and I think particularly in, in New York, because of the, the very high intense work culture that it has had here, you know, certainly as long as I can remember, I think that the starting point here is more challenging than it is in Ireland. You know, I think that that's, that's important to acknowledge and to recognize the average working hours, the, the whole culture and attitude towards work is quite different to how it is in Ireland. So if I'm being honest, 
is there a larger percentage of the Irish public and a larger percentage of the Irish business community that might be attracted to this idea than is the case in the United States? I think the answer is probably yes. Mm -hmm. But it's also the case that, you know, the scale here is so large that even a smaller percentage of the business community in the US is still a, a huge, huge market of progressive, innovative businesses that, you know, have learned from their COVID experience that can see this as, as, as a real opportunity that can make a difference for their business and for their people. So we already have, you know, we're, we're really just getting up and running. I've been here five weeks and working with the, the team that we have here in, in the US to promote this. We ran our first information sessions for, for companies at the end of last month. We've around 10 employers signed up so far here in the States. We're hoping and expecting that, that will continue to grow. We're on a later timeline. So the Irish one is kicking off January, February next year. It'll be April of next year for the for the US one, which obviously gives us more time to get the message out there to the business community here in the States. But but certainly we've we've high hopes that, uh, that we'll have a high level of participation in both programs. Okay, great. And so you'll get to see the, the US pilot through during your year there. That's the plan, absolutely. Yep. And looking forward to seeing what it brings. Fantastic. Yeah, no, very exciting, as you mentioned. And listen, the very best of luck with, with those two pilots. Tell us, Joe, like what does the four-day week, hybrid working, the future of work, if you could get your crystal ball out there, I mean, what does the future of work look like, just in, in your opinion, let's say in, in five years' time? Is it a mix of all these different working models or are we kind of, is it still finger in the air? The first point I'd like to make is that I do think that there is an effort in some quarters to almost define flexibility purely within the parameters of location of work. And I think that that's really dangerous. I think that the discussion around what the future of work needs to look like, it does need to encapsulate location of work. So people's ability to work flexibly from home, in the office, in hubs and so on. And that's a really important part of the conversation. But it also needs to encapsulate average working hours, average working time. And finally, it needs to encapsulate the right to switch off. And I think that if we get completely focused on people's ability to work from home without any regard to average time that they're working and also the control that they have in terms of being able to disconnect from work, that that's a really dangerous path to follow. I think in terms of the future of work, when we launched the Irish campaign back, back in 2019, we said it was our medium term ambition to move towards the four day week as the new default or the new standard across the economy, I kind of would have said at the time, that's something that I think could be done within a 10-year time frame. I still think that that's the case. And if anything, I think that the developments that we've seen since then have probably accelerated this. I think it's very clear the idea is growing in Ireland, it's growing here, it's growing all over the world. And we're hopeful that our pilot program will help to, I suppose, speed up the process in that it will very clearly demonstrate in an academically rigorous, incredible way that this is not just something that can work for certain businesses, but it's something that can work in a much broader scale that can deliver benefits for the company, for its people, for the environment, for society and for the economy. Excellent. Yeah. So we will watch this space for both of the, the pilots to see the outcomes. And, and then over time, let's see how many more I guess, companies and organizations embrace this. So hopefully we can encourage a few more to get involved in the Irish trial. We'll include all the links that go out with the show notes with this episode. Before we finish up, I mean, what, what would success look like at the end of your year in New York? Is it kind of two successful pilot programs, you know, a number of companies that have gone full time or full time, if you like, on, on the four day week? Yeah, I think this time next year, I'd like to be in a space of saying we've had successful pilots in Ireland and in the US and Canada. We've had participation of, you know, between 20 and 30 companies in both of those, that it's 
delivered the kind of results and the kind of data that that we we anticipate that it will, and that that then you know is an enabler for an expansion of, of our own pilot program in those countries in terms of additional private sector, additional public sector participation, but also that that can be used as a template to, to shape the debate. Because as I said, we've had contact from Israel, we've had contact from Asia, we've had contact from all over Europe. There's huge interest in Australia and New Zealand. So this is a global movement that's building and growing. And we hope that the work that we're doing in Ireland and the US will help to inform campaigns and advocates in other countries that want to do pilots like this and that want to try and demonstrate that this is something that can work in their particular context. Will you ever be able to settle back into the role in Enforcer after this? Absolutely. I'm looking forward, <laughs> looking forward to getting this experience under the belt. You know, it's definitely, it's a big change. It's a big challenge. It's something that, you know, I suppose myself and my partner are at the, the stage in our lives where we're probably knocking on the door of there being more than just us and the two dogs around. So, you know, your flexibility to be able to, to take on an opportunity like this, the timing was really good for that. But certainly we're planning on fully living the New York experience for a year. Looking forward to getting back to Riscommon all the same. You know? <laughs> Fantastic. By the way, you're the, you're the second, at least the second guest anyway from Roscommon that's been on the podcast. And they're all... Big hitters, it seems, uh, from Roscommon. If you, have you come across Sue Carty? She's on the World Rugby, but the first female representative on the board of World Rugby, a Roscommon native, and she works in, in the area of workplace well-being now. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I actually only just, someone connected with me on via Twitter there recently, saying that you know, she's researching this subject in uh, University College Cork, but she actually used to live across the road from the school that I uh, that I no went way. to for years. So, I mean, it's a small world. And I think Roscommon is definitely a hub for activity in, in <laughs> sporting, cultural, musical fields, you know. Just don't mention John Waters. That's the only... Oh, <laughs> okay, okay. We won't. We, won't. we can edit that out. We can edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> well, Joe, listen, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Where's the best place for people to go uh, to find out more? You've mentioned a few links, but let's say to connect with yourself and then to find out more about the campaign. They can contact the Irish campaign via contact at fourdayweek.ie. They can contact me directly via joe.o'connor at fourdayweek.com. They can also sign up either through the Irish website or through the global website and they'll find their way to me. So looking forward to uh, having more conversations with HR leaders in this space. Fantastic. Listen, Joe, thanks so much for your time. Listen, enjoy the rest of your and embrace the kind of the New York experience there. And we really look forward to seeing how your entire project and the year progresses. Thanks very much, Brian. Enjoyed the chat. Cheers. Hey, everyone. Brian here again. A big thank you for listening right to the end of this episode of the WorkWell podcast. This podcast has been brought to you with thanks to our partners, AJ Products. We are leading the way in ergonomic and active workplace furniture solutions at ajproducts.ie. Original music that you're hearing right now was composed by my friend Greg Clifford. You can check out the website workwellpodcast.com where you can access show notes for each episode and also find all our previous episodes. I would love if you could head over to iTunes or Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. A reminder, you can head to workwellinstitute.org to check out the education programs that we have on offer. You're welcome to share this episode with your friends and colleagues so they too can discover and benefit from the content. And finally, if you have any suggestions for future topics you'd like to hear in the show, you can email me directly 
at brian at workwellpodcast.com. Remember to work well, stay safe, and I'll see you on the next episode.